morning, Camarillo community. How are we doing this morning? Has, oh, nice. The coffee has kicked in for this section right here. I like that. Hey, this is uh, truly an honor for me to be able to be with you. As uh, Pastor David said, my name is Andres Carrias. Most people call me Dre, so feel free to as well. And David and I have known each other for about 20 years. And in that time, we've not only have been able to develop an amazing friendship, but when it comes to ministry, especially when it comes to preaching and communicating, and especially as a model for the love of, for the love of God's word, he has just been a mentor and has impacted to be truly in my life. So he is a gift. I'm excited to be here partnering with him and with you guys. And I'm excited to meet new brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. So we're going to go ahead and continue our series in the book of Mark this morning. And so as we prepare to do that, let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, we are grateful for who you are. And as your church, as your community, we are here this morning to ask more of you. Father, we want to experience more of who you are. Father, we want to experience more of your vision for our lives. Father, we want to experience more of your leading. Father, we want to experience more of your transformation, how you change us to be just like you. And so Jesus, this morning, we have been doing that by declaring these beautiful truths in these songs. This morning, we're going to open up your word, your Bible, which is living and active. Holy Spirit, use the words in your Bible to expand our eyes, to expand our vision, to be transformed, to fall more in love with our Jesus. As I often pray as a communicator, I pray that I become less. And I pray that you, as our Jesus, as our Christ, becomes much, much more. Speak, Father, for your children are listening. In your son's name, everybody said, amen. So this morning, I want to ask a question of you, and this is a key question that we're going to see come up in our passage. Now, I'm going to ask you rhetorically, meaning you don't have to answer out loud, and you can answer it in the honesty of your own mind. But you're going to see this question come up on the screens right now, and the question is this. What is your current image of Jesus? And so there's a couple different aspects to this question, but think about it. How do you picture Jesus? So let's look at the physical side of it. How do you, what does Jesus look like in your mind? In essence, what race, what color does Jesus look like? Does he look like you? Does he look like people around you? Does he look like somebody you would see around the world? Is Jesus tall? Is Jesus short? What do you think Jesus sounds like? So think about how do you picture Jesus physically? But then with that, let's go one step further and go, how do you picture what Jesus is capable of? What role does Jesus have in your life? Is he powerful is he in charge? Is he small? Is he an advisor? Is he somebody you come to once in a while? Now we're going to see in our scripture in Mark today, this is a key question because what we often don't realize is how we picture Jesus, both what he looks like and how we see him of what he's capable of directly impacts how we view what it means to follow him. And so a third question in that is, where does your image of Jesus come from? your image, your picture of Jesus, what is the origin of that? Is that an image you've had most of your life? Does it come from some type of religious background? Is it more cultural and social? Where does that come from? Has that ever changed in the history of your life? 
You know, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about when was the first time I had a clear picture of Jesus in my head? And I remember thinking about when I was a young kid. See, I didn't grow up going to Protestant church, something like this. I have a beautifully devout Spanish Catholic mom, and so I grew up going to Mass. And I remember at some point in early elementary school, I was in these Sunday schools, and sometimes in churches and Sunday schools, they have these pictures of what Jesus looks like, right? And I remember seeing one of these for the first time, and it was a picture that I affectionately call surfer Jesus. And what I mean by this is this Jesus had flowing blonde hair that was just whipping in the wind. He had beautifully tan, like sun-kissed skin, and growing up in the valley where I did, I'm like, wow, that's That looks like a guy I would see at Venice Beach or I'd see at Malibu. And he was wearing this immaculately white robe or toga. It had this purple sash going on and he was holding a sheep, you know, because he's the lamb of the world and he's smiling at you. And I remember going, so is that what Jesus looks like? And then my good-hearted volunteers would use phrases like, Jesus won the fight against the devil. Jesus fought our battles. And there was something else about surfer Jesus, he looked sickly thin. And so they would say, well, Jesus fought the fight against Satan. And then I would look at that picture going, that guy doesn't look like he'd be any help in a fight. And so again, how we picture Jesus impacts what we mean. And this is why I bring this up. It's been my experience in my life It's been my experience in being a pastor for over 16 years that often when it comes to how we see Jesus, we don't realize that we often see Jesus through a series of filters. We see a filtered image which distort who Jesus really is. And we don't often have the intention to go, yes, I want to distort and manipulate the image of Jesus. But that's what happens in our sinfulness and our flesh is that we filter Jesus and these filters come from many different places. Sometimes we see Jesus through the filter of what our culture says is right or wrong or how our culture believes Jesus should be. If, you're around, if you ever pay attention around Christmas and Easter, there's always new documentaries or books that say the real Jesus, right? Sometimes we filter Jesus based on our own religious education, based on the churches we grew up in or people that we viewed religious, what they thought about. Sometimes we filter Jesus just based on our own life experiences, whether our own successes or even our own pain, our hurt, our own suffering. And so what we want to do is that as Christ followers, we need to acknowledge that how we see Jesus directly impacts how we follow after him. And so as Christians, as Christ followers, if we are going to follow Jesus well, then it is essential that we begin to remove Remove these filters and see who he truly is. And if you're new to Camarillo community, I not only want to welcome you again, but that's been really the heart of this whole sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. That to see a true, unfiltered image of Jesus, the heart of this series is to go back to one, the first century, one of the earliest documents, one of the earliest accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, and to see our, the true Jesus, to allow his word to remove our filters so that we can see him for who he truly is and gain a new understanding of what it means to follow him. And so with that, let's jump into our passage for the 
morning. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're going to be in the second half of our Bible called the New Testament. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. If you have a physical Bible and a pen handy, if you have an app and the ability to highlight, we're going to mark up this passage a little bit as we learn this morning. And remember, as we go into Scripture, we always want to have the attitude and the posture of a student that the Lord is going to teach us through this. So starting at verse 27 of chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Would you underline that? Would you highlight that? Because that's a key question. Who do people say I am? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Okay, let's stop right there and unpack what we're reading. The first thing in this passage is that Jesus is very intentional about the setting and the location, about where he's asking this question. And so they're, in, uh, they're around the ancient city of Caesarea Philippi. So last week, Pastor David was talking about uh, the area of Bethsaida. So we're about 25 miles north of that. We're roughly about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, this city in ancient Israel was famous for a, f- uh, for, for a few unique things. It was very famous for being a non-Jewish city. It was very famous for being named in honor of one of the great Caesars, so very Roman in its influence. It was also very famous for its pagan worship. Specifically, there was a big temple devoted to the pagan god Pan, who was half human, half goat. Several years ago, I was in Israel, and I got to go to the remains of Caesarea Philippi, and you see the remains of these altars of these statues. In fact, they had this big opening in the hillside that's a deep, deep hole that they called the gates to hell, that they believe spirits and pagan gods would come out of that. And so the reason why that is important to the context of our scripture is that it's in this city that at the very least you would say is spiritually confused. But for the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the Jewish Bible, This was a city that was also spiritually hostile to God the Father, that it's interesting that it's here that Jesus begins to ask the questions of identity. So he asks them generally, what are people saying about me? So think about it in our world. What are people, people have different opinions of Jesus, right? And while they may be hostile towards Christ followers, a lot of people tend to have a pretty favorable view. And so the disciples were saying, essentially, you're polling very well. People really like you. And so again, to understand these names, we need to understand a Jewish context, that those lists of names and prophets are a big deal in Jewish faith. They said, some people think you're John the Baptist, who was the first major Jewish prophet after centuries of silence. In fact, earlier in Mark's gospel, Herod Antipas, the ruler that beheaded John the Baptist, he made the assumption that Jesus was a resurrected John. Or then they said, some people think you're Elijah, who was very revered in Jewish faith. And they were fascinated by him because Elijah didn't die. God brought him up to heaven. And there was a belief that Elijah himself 
or someone like Elijah would come back. And then they said, or one of the prophets. And they don't mean a general prophet. We're talking the varsity league here. They're talking the hallowed prophets of the Old Testament. So they're probably feeling pretty good going, hey, people have a really high view of who you are. We're polling really well in the opinion polls. But one thing you're going to see about Jesus in this passage is that being close to his identity is not good enough. And so as we continue to read verse 29, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Would you underline that? Would you highlight that? Would you put a box around it, arrows, happy faces, whatever you need to draw your attention to it? Because he goes from the general, he goes and he brings it to the specific. This question is not just a question for these 12 men several thousand years ago. This is a defining question for us today. This is the most important question a human being can answer. Whether we realize it or not, each and every one of us bases our lives, the way we think, the way we act, everything about us on our answer to this question. And this question not only determines our lives in the present, but it determines our eternity as well. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Would you underline that word, highlight that? You are the Messiah. In other translations, he says, you are the Christ, which is the Greek translation of the word Messiah. Now, again, to really understand this, we need to understand Jewish cultural context. That for the Jewish people, as they had been living in centuries under pagan governments, hostile oppressions, ones that would want to destroy their faith and their culture, they held on to the Old Testament promise that the Lord would send his Messiah. The Messiah is a Hebrew word, which means God's anointed one. And so they did not, as a Jewish person, you revered that title and you did not take it lightly. And so for Peter, who is representing the disciples, these Jewish men, to make this declaration that Jesus is the Messiah is a big deal. It is not something they took lightly. In fact, in Mark's gospel, this is a key turning point. At the very beginning, if you've been with Camarillo community throughout this journey, at the very beginning, Mark, as the author, when he introduces the gospel, gives an overview that Jesus is the Christ. After that, the next individuals that declare him Messiah or Christ are demons, are evil spirit. This is the first time we have humans making this declaration saying, you are the Messiah. But then Jesus says in verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now in scholarship, there's a lot of different opinions as to why he did that. But there's one common thread that most would agree on. It's the fact that they had the right title but they had the wrong understanding as to what that meant. See, they had the right title, you are the Messiah, but they still had filters which distorted what that means. And so what's gonna happen next is Jesus is gonna go, yes, this is true. And because that's true, this is what Messiah does. He will define what Messiah is. So verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them 
is that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. That translation from the original Greek word kind of loses its meaning in English. In the Greek, that word plainly means he spoke boldly. He spoke confidently. So understand, he is defining what Messiah is here to do. Now for us today, that sounds very much like the story of Jesus, right? The gospel story that he would be betrayed, he would die, he would rise again. But to them, this is starting to become new information. And this is coming into direct conflict with their filters of what Messiah is supposed to do. Because look at the reaction. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Would you underline that word rebuke? So this was a stern rebuke. Jesus is saying, I am Messiah. This is what Messiah does. Peter takes Jesus aside and goes, no, you're wrong. That is not what Messiah does. That is not what my Jesus does. That is not what Messiah does. And we sit there and go, that's absurd, right? We can kind of roll our eyes going, oh, Peter, that's what you do. But if I'm honest in how I read scripture, instead of going, oh, Peter, that's you, I start to realize I am much more like Peter in my life than I want to admit. 